Good evening, everybody. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, you can open them. Well, actually, two spots. The first is Matthew 11, and then uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. So you can, you can save both those spots, and we'll start in Matthew 11. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll jump into the Word of God. Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity to receive what you would have to speak to us tonight. And we thank you and we honor you for your ministry to us as the high priest of our souls and the one who brings us into the presence of the Father. And I ask tonight, Jesus, that you will uh, invite us into a deeper place of your heart, Lord, and that you will then take us to the Father. We thank you, God, that you serve, you serve us, Jesus, and that you're the door to the Father, and we want to enter through you tonight to experience and receive the love of the Father. We thank you, God. We just honor you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one, and we ask that you will come and you will all uh, corporately invade this meeting and bring us into a greater revelation of who you are as God, as King, as Savior, as High Priest, as Friend. We love you and we bless you tonight, Jesus. Amen. So uh, before I start, I wanted to invite you into, um, I, you know, who was here last week? Most of us, hopefully. Um, if you weren't, that's okay. Uh, but I preached last week on... Uh, the mean, means of grace by which I feel like God's calling us into a deeper knowing of this man, Jesus. And uh, that's through uh, the scriptures and through communion. And we looked at the, the story of the road to Emmaus, and it was through the breaking of bread, and it was through the scriptures that these disciples came uh, to recognize a real Jesus. And uh, we're pursuing uh, this knowledge of a real Jesus and coming into a living relationship with a real man, Christ Jesus, who is still alive today. And so uh, I want to invite you into uh, the next like 40 days uh, to a feast uh, upon the person of Jesus. And you know, who likes fasting? Just a few of us. Like the results, that's good. Uh, this is an opposite. I'm going to call us to a feast, uh, and, and I'm going to personally engage in 40 days of partaking in, in the Lord's Supper and we're going to do it each of the next uh, five weeks at church. And I would encourage you to bring communion to your family dinners, bring them to your, uh, to your homes with your roommates and, and whatever capacity. But uh, just feast on the Lord uh, these next 40 days. And then also I'd encourage you along with that to uh, read through and, and listen your way through really uh, the Gospels. And really take time uh, to let the risen Jesus speak to you. Uh, through his life and his ministry and his death and his resurrection. So um, that's just, um, I believe the Lord's going to speak. He wants to reveal himself, and this is uh, part of the way that we can partner with him uh, to, to position our hearts to receive what he would have to say. So that's the next 40 days, and uh, if you have testimonies of how the Lord meets you through the scripture, through the sacrament of communion, I would love to hear it. And uh, I think it's going to be a beautiful, simple, uh, powerful uh, experience. So consider joining me in that. Um, I'm going to talk tonight on the topic of communion, but particularly on communion's role in bringing us into connection 
with the Father. And we are all longing uh, to connect with the Father. He is eternally secure. Uh, he's absolutely safe. And uh, it's in His presence that we actually find and receive our identity and our purpose. And that is the role of a father. Even psychologically speaking, it's to form identity, to shape purpose of uh, his children. And uh, mothers have other roles, um, you know, just even psychologically speaking, in the development of children. But a father brings purpose and brings identity. And we need to know uh, the voice of our father and come into a connection with the father if we're to have the endurance and the perspective and the wisdom that we need to, to live this life, which can be difficult. And so uh, I'm going to read again. Uh, I'm going to go scripture heavy, which is good. And the scripture has a lot to say. And then I'll offer some thoughts on the scripture, but really I'm hoping that the scripture will speak for itself tonight. And in Matthew 11, uh, I'm going to read a verse that's pretty um, well known, and then I'm going to break down the context with which uh, we're reading it uh, to hopefully allow it to minister us and really bring us um, deeper into the Father's heart. And it's in verse 28, and it's Jesus speaking, but I believe it's Jesus really uh, inviting us. He's showing us what his relationship with the Father is like, and he's inviting us into the same thing. And the verse prior, verse 27, he says uh, that no one knows the Father except for who the Son wills to reveal him. And then he follows it with this statement, which is a very well-known verse. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I believe that this is Jesus' invitation to bring us into the rest of the Father. Um, but often I think, uh, you know, I, I had never seen the context uh, until just this week. The Lord spoke to me. Um, through these scriptures. And so I'm going to just back up to the beginning of chapter 11 and, and take a look at just what, in the midst of what is Jesus speaking this to, because I think it can bring some greater insight. And so at 11 verse 1, I'm just going to read the, the first paragraph here of chapter 11. It says, when Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John, while imprisoned, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. So the... In this passage, John the Baptist is having a moment of weakness and a moment of doubt, and he's questioning who Jesus really is. Right? And keep in mind that John the Baptist's whole life was about preparing the way for the Messiah to come, and he was the one who actually identified, this is the anointed one from heaven. This is the one on whom the dove of heaven came and rested upon. He publicly proclaimed the, the pinnacle of his life was to identify Jesus, and now, just a short time later, he's questioning and doubting and sends messengers saying, are you actually the expected one? Right? He's questioning, was everything I did purposeful? He, he's frustrated, and the reason he's frustrated is because he's in prison. His whole life was to identify the one that was going to bring deliverance to Israel, and he's sitting in jail. 
knowing probably that his life was soon to be taken. And so he's having a moment of weakness, of doubt, of fear. And this is why I believe Jesus, out of his kindness, gives this encouragement. says, blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Right. And Jesus is helping John, really, he's helping him finish well because he had come to the end of his walk. Right? And if you uh, fast forward just a, a, a few verses to verse 16, Jesus goes on to commend John, but that's not what I want to talk about tonight. In verse 16, Jesus begins speaking, and Jesus actually starts to share some of his own frustration right? and, and, and things that don't seem to be going right and perhaps some disappointment. And he says, but to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to the other children and say, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating or drinking and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Then he began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. <laughs> Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented a long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades, for if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Right. Jesus is saying here, I've been preaching the gospel. I've been doing miracles in these, this, his, his own homeland. These people that he loves, and it's like, you're not getting it. You're not repenting. It doesn't seem to be going the way it should. It doesn't, right? Do you see? Like, you could get really frustrated if you're Jesus, if you put yourself in Jesus' shoes. Like, what? I'm, I'm healing the sick. I'm raising the dead. I'm giving blind sight. And you're not repenting. Like, what's wrong with you? Right? And imagine that, you know, Jesus loves each one of these people a whole lot more than you and I do. You know, can you imagine the frustration the difficulty, right? So John has his frustration, his disillusionment with what he hoped to happen to what he had in his mind was going to take place. And Jesus probably had some of his own disappointment to work through because he's a human, right? He's God, but he's also a human. And if I put myself in Jesus' shoes, I'd be real tempted to get frustrated. What's not working, right? But John Sends messengers. He's in doubt. He starts questioning Jesus. This just gets me at verse 25. He offers this just totally different perspective. And it says, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. And so Jesus doesn't express frustration. He actually expresses the kingdom perspective. There's purpose to what's happening because this is the Father's way. 
Right? There's a, a book by Viktor Frankl called Man's Search for Meaning. I'm sure many of us have read it. And uh, he was a Jew that survived Auschwitz and the Holocaust and went through this horrible thing. And he writes this uh, psychological perspective on his gleanings on the purpose of life. And he, uh, in this work, actually challenges uh, Karl Marx. He, ch he, he uh, challenges Freud. He challenges which you know, Marx said, Man's, you know, man is searching for money and power. Uh, Freud says man is searching for sexual fulfillment. And Viktor Frankl says, no, no, no. Man is actually searching for meaning. Everyone, that's the great motivator of the human race is meaning. Right? And I believe that's what we are all looking for. That's what we're all desperately craving as citizens of this earth is I want to live a life that actually has purpose. I want to do something that, that is of substance and, and beauty and worth and value. Right? And I believe we're seeing John here is in a place of questioning, has everything I've done, does it actually matter? Like, was it valuable? Was it worth, you know, was it worth the time? Was it worth the sacrifice? Was it worth everything I sowed and now the deliverers come? I'm actually imprisoned. Is it real? Like, you, know, you see what I'm saying? He's questioning, right? And Jesus, uh, Jesus seems to have more of a connection with the Father and he actually understood what was taking place. No, 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 no. I'm not frustrated about this because I understand the purpose. I'm connected to the Father. I praise you, Father, this is your way. And I believe that sometimes the, the, the biggest shift, there's so much power in perspective. It's probably a good way to say it. And John didn't have the kingdom perspective that Jesus had. And I believe so many times we go through situations and because we lack perspective, my people perish for lack of knowledge. Right? Because we don't have the perspective that comes from knowing how to receive from the Father, we actually are ill-equipped to engage with the world we're in. And we get frustrated and, you know, try, because we're trying to find our meaning and our purpose in what's happening out in the world. And it's not that that's a bad thing necessarily. We're called to bring the kingdom. But the interesting thing about the kingdom is it's inside out and it's upside down. Right, so John had a purpose. His whole purpose was to prepare the way for oh well, yum. And gosh, didn't he do it? He did it so well, yet because he's lacking perspective, he's starting to get frustrated and questioning everything. Right? And Jesus didn't lack the perspective. And so I believe that as kingdom people, there's oftentimes... We are in the favor of God. We are in the will of God. We are just delighting ourselves in the Lord. He is so pleased with us, but we are like freaking out because we can't see it. And the Father, when we learn to come into the presence of the Father, He speaks purpose to our lives. Jesus is like, I praise you, Father, that this is your way. You hide these things from the rich, the wise, the intelligent, and you reveal them to the poor, to the infants, to the children. I praise you. This is your way. This is how you, this is how you desire it. This is how you desire to bring your kingdom to Israel. Not my way, but your way. Right? And Jesus had this because he was connected to the Father. And then it's in this context. He says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And Jesus is inviting us, come to me so that I can bring you to the Father. And Hebrews 4 talks about the rest of God. And it says, it starts in the beginning, it talks about how if you've heard the good news and you've, you've had a promise of entering the rest of God, but you haven't entered it, you need to be afraid. And it talks about all the people that had hardened their hearts, and so they did not enter into the rest of God. And then the end of Hebrews 4 says, uh, we're to boldly approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Right? In between the throne where God is seated and he wants to give us his presence and his grace and his rest and purpose and identity and all these things, there's a throne and there's where we are and there's a high priest named Jesus who's saying, come to me, you can't get to the Father on your own, but if you come to me, I can bring you to the Father, and then you'll find rest for your souls, because he has identity and purpose for you. Isn't that cool? All right, so go to 1 Kings now. I'm just going to read a story that I feel like really puts flesh and blood upon this and just got me excited this week as I was reading. And it's the story of Elijah, and Elijah is... Again, a very, very powerful prophet of the Lord. Much like John the Baptist, he laid his life down to see the kingdom come. And probably the pinnacle moment of his ministry was on Mount Carmel when he challenged the prophets of Baal and the fire of God comes and consumes the sacrifice. And it's this great moment of victory for the Lord. And if you could ever think of a man who would feel like his life mattered and had purpose, it would be Elijah at this point. And then he goes, on the mountaintop and he prays and I've been on top of Mount Carmel it's this beautiful peak and it looks out into the Mediterranean and he got on his knees and he prayed and the, the cloud the size of a man hand and then it came and it deluged upon Israel at the prayer of the prophet Elijah was a man with a nature like ours but when he prayed heaven moved right if there's ever a man you think would have purpose it would have been Elijah, but Elijah uh, was, was, was empty. And we see here, this is the next thing that happens. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he'd killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and even more if I don't make your life as one of them by tomorrow about this time. And Elijah was afraid and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord. Take my life, for I'm not better than my father's. So though... Uh, he had this fruitful ministry, done these amazing things. He is still lacking something. He was still in need of something deeper. And I'd just like to propose he was in need of the Father. He needed to see, he needed to hear it from the voice of his Father. Well done. There's purpose. You have purpose. There's meaning to what you're doing. And I'd imagine he's experiencing disappointment that the day after this great victory, which he probably thought was going to turn the tide of the nation, he's still getting threatened by Jezebel. God, 
haven't I done enough? I thought it was going to turn. I thought this was going to be the end. And now they still just want to kill me again. Right? The kingdom doesn't always come immediately. And so he's discouraged because he can't see what's taking place. You'd think, it's like, dude, the fire fell. And he's like, yeah, but it's not enough. It doesn't seem to be working. Right? This is the difficulty of being kingdom people. It's not a microwave. Right? And it requires that we're so connected to our Father in the midst of the journey. And so Elijah, uh, he, he retreats into the wilderness. And I just felt prompted by the Holy Spirit earlier today to just, uh, if, you, if any of you find yourself in a difficulty, you find yourself in an empty place, you find yourself like, there's turbulence going on within me, uh, Following Elijah's example and going to the wilderness is a good idea because the wilderness is a place of invitation. And when we are in the urban centers of the world, when we are surrounded by other people, surrounded by billboards, surrounded by our phones, surrounded by all the stimulation of life, it's actually, you know, marketing. It's marketing, message, message, message. There's an impulse, influx. Everything is coming to you, right? But in the wilderness, it's barren, it's empty, it's plain, and it actually invites what's in you to come that is within you so that you can start to externalize, you know, this, this, this world that is within you. And so Elijah goes to the wilderness to try, uh, I'm sure, to discern what is going on within my soul. There's something that I'm hungering for. And so he went a day's journey in the wilderness, requested that he could die. So as he lay down and slept under a juniper tree, and behold, there was an angel touching him, and he said to him, Arise, eat. Then he looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then he came to a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And then Elijah responds, this is what he'd been processing. I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel, forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your I enter with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Which I interpret as, I'm afraid, and I don't know what's going on, and I don't really know if everything I've been doing is even working at all. And God replied, go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by. And a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And then he said again, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel, forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. 
And out of this distress, out of this place of fear, out of this place of questioning, out of this place of all of Elijah's doubts, the Holy Spirit whispers, God, his Father whispers to him, and suddenly in a moment takes him from this place of wanting to die and fills him with a multi-generational perspective, says, here's your successors. There's actually 7,000 that haven't bowed. This is my plan. I'm working to restore my people. Thank you for your job, Elijah. Look, there's a future. Look, I'm using you. And in one moment, in one word, in one paragraph here, God fills the prophet with peace, I can only imagine, and the gentleness and the rest of the Father. And he knows, oh, it's not in vain. My life matters. Like, this matters. I'm doing a good job. Isn't it amazing that he can call down fire and kill the prophets of Baal, but we really needed to hear from his father that he was doing a good job. (laughs) You know, it's so simple, but it's so profound. Because I think deep down, that's what we're all wanting to know. So I'm doing a good job. But we only get that from our daddy. We're all longing to hear that voice saying, good job. I'm so proud of you. You're doing so good. I affirm you. Your life matters. And I'd like to just draw attention to the fact that what brought Elijah, what strengthened him to go from a pit of depression to the mountain with God, which Horeb is Sinai. It's the mountain where Moses ascended to hear and receive from God. It's, it's a picture of the Holy of Holies. And what strengthened him to go from a pit of depression into the Holy of Holies, into the top of the mountain, was the food and the drink that he ate, that an angel of the Lord came and offered him. And it's amazing that Jesus talks about food and drink In John chapter 6, he says this, he says, uh, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. I believe in the same way that the journey was simply too far and too long for Elijah, it's the same for you and me. We we don't have the stamina, we don't have the endurance, we don't have the ability to get from the places of our weakness and into the mountain with God. But Jesus, as said in Hebrews 4, the one that can take us into the rest of God stands as a high priest, and he is the great gift of the Father, right? And Jesus, like, God is an empowering Father, right? He he gives purpose to all of his children. And the firstborn, Jesus Christ, he gave the purpose to come and be the sacrificial lamb of heaven who could lay down his life so that he could live to make intercession for us that as we come to him, he can then take us into the presence of the Father. That's what Jesus loves to do. That is why Jesus laid down his life because he wanted everyone to know the Father. He's praying in the high priestly father, Father, that they can just know you. Father, let them be in me so that I can come to you and they can know you. 
Now, this is like Jesus' thrilling role in life, and he offered himself. He is the gift of God to humanity. He came to save us from our sins, and not just save us from our sins, but then bring us back into proximity and connection with the Father. Right? I will not leave you as orphans. I will come for you. Right? And it's an orphaned planet. And I believe that what will bring healing and a spirit of adoption to the world is when the church stops being an orphaned church. But to do that, we have to take the words of Jesus, come to me. And I believe that the food, this true food and this true drink, this communion, these elements, this offering of Jesus, he's saying, come and feast on me. Come and feast on me, because as you feast on me, you will actually abide in me, and you'll actually become one with me, and you're actually training your spirit, you're training your body, soul, it's a spirit, natural spiritual act when you're feasting upon the element of Jesus, you're becoming one with the high priest of heaven that can come into our human weakness, he's saying Feast on me. Arise and eat. This is true food. This is true drink. Partake of me. Become one with me. And not by your strength, but by my strength. Not because of your ministry, but because of my ministry. I'm going to take you up the mountain and into the presence of your Father so that you can receive the purpose and the identity and the well done that your soul is craving. I will bring you into the rest of your father <laughs> that is the invitation of Jesus that is the gift of this true food and this true drink it has the nourishment and the strength that we need it binds us to our high priest who lives to bring us into the presence of our daddy Jesus is the door to the Father. He, he made a way by his stripes, by his wounds. You know, Adam's bride was taken from his side. And Jesus was pierced on his side to make a way so that we could come back into union with him. As we drink of him, as we feast on him, we're entering back into union with him so that he can take us right to the Father. And so tonight, I want to, we're going to just practice this, and we're going to do this because these are living words. This is the, the, the living, true food and true drink of heaven, and, and we're going to take communion in the beauty and the simplicity of what it is, and Jesus, I believe, wants to take us to the Father. I'm just, and so uh, if you're serving communion, you can come forward now and I'm just going to read uh, out of Matthew 26, the invitation of Christ to come and feast upon him. And then um, I invite you that as you take communion tonight, that you slow down. Like, don't be in a hurry. Prepare your heart and come and let this be an intimate and a holy moment to come and feast upon the true food and the true drink of heaven. And then, uh, and, and then you can return to your seats and I asked if uh, Jordan and Amy would just come back up and sing that song, uh, you know, lean back into the arms of the Father. And as we take communion, as we come and feast upon Jesus, 
Um, we, I just feel Jesus' invitation is come, come unto me, and then let me bring you rest. Let me bring you to the Father. And so as you, as you partake, um, then I'm going to invite you to go back and then just receive and let Jesus fulfill his high priestly ministry to your heart tonight and bring you into the presence of the Father. And so I'm just, uh, I'm going to read this scripture, then I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to let Jordan and Amy just sing. And you honestly have space uh, to just stay um, as long as you need to stay, and, and that will be kind of the, the soft closing. I'm not going to come up and say you can go, um, but just to stay and let Jesus bring you into proximity with the Father. Um, what, what time is it right now, just so I know? Six, 640. So, you know, if you have kids, um, don't take too long. That's all I'll say. <laughs> Father, be quick. No, I'm just joking. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Lord, we thank you for your blood. We thank you for your body. We thank you for true drink. And we thank you for true food. And we thank you, Jesus, for your role as our high priest. And we ask tonight that as we come to you, you'll bring us into the rest of our Father. Yield to your heart tonight, Jesus. We thank you for your love. Amen.